I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it's turned into a bit of a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are, our true self, and how to live, create, and succeed from that place. If you need help making contact with your unique purpose, or maybe you're ready for a conscious career change and need some advice, I encourage you to explore my online learning opportunities at getoffline.co forward slash study. You can also follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me, I'm Alison Larson Rice. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. The time has come to close season six of Offline. Two or three times a year, I take some time out to brainstorm what I hope will be another interesting and expanding season for you to enjoy. I close every season with a special Ask Me Anything episode, which is this one. And I want to thank you for your ongoing encouragement for me to keep going with these. This one is very close to my heart. It's dedicated to my little angel girl, Betty. I kept our pregnancy private and I've also made a conscious decision not to share her birth story for now and I'll talk a little bit about why but there's actually lots of things I am so happy to share and I'm really honored that you care enough to ask so if you submitted a question I want to say thank you I tried to select a nice cross-section of topics so I hope you enjoy hearing about our experiences and also that our choices don't make you question your own. That's really important. Thank you for listening to another season and I'll be back in your beautiful ears before you know it. Feel free to DM me with any guest or topic requests because remember, offline is ours. Okay, here we go. Okay, first question. I'm a bit nervous. Okay, how has birthing Betty and becoming a mum evolved your definition of true self? We're just getting straight down to business here. Um, I'm not sure it's evolved it as much as it has perhaps reinforced it. In the years before we fell pregnant with Betty, I feel like, well, I know that I made contact with a more sophisticated understanding of true self. I think that's the way I would put it. Um, Yeah, the only way I can describe it is I stopped intellectualizing true self and I started to 
embody it and I guess live or exist from that place. So since having her, it's been really wonderful to witness myself witnessing her. Um, Yeah, I just love looking into her eyes and really seeing her and I guess speaking to that part of her as well, to her true self. Um, Yeah. Interested to hear your parenting style so far, especially around sleeping. Well, I'm only five months in um, and I can already see how my parenting style is evolving to meet her needs as she develops. So I think that's my style, if that's the style that I'm observing and responding. Um, I have found that my intuition is strongest when I shut out the noise and the opinions. And I know we all, a lot of new mums experience unsolicited opinions. Um, But yeah, if I'm just in the moment with her, I tend to know what she needs and what to do, um, what feels right. Now that she's becoming more curious and she's sort of developing a relationship with her body and how it can move. I'm trying to foster independence through a very secure attachment. Um, So yeah, I've actually just started reading The Montessori Baby and it's scarily similar to what I've been doing. So that's quite comforting. Um, But one thing it's helped me become more confident with is my version of play Because I really struggled with being like the entertainer because that's actually not in my nature to be very loud and sing-songy and um, yeah, so I started to sort of pare back her play space and almost leave her to it Um, and she's actually developed so much since I did that. So just simple toys that double as activities and like self-initiated activities. So she's learning while she's playing um, on sleep. Oh, I feel like this is such a polarizing topic in the parenting world. Um, I probably didn't realize there was such an obsession with naps, including my own, um, and whether they're sleeping through (laughs) at night and if they can self-settle and all this stuff. So I guess what I'll share without wanting to invite comparisons or those unsolicited opinions is we really value sleep in our household and we see the quality of her sleep and the amount of sleep she's getting as quite key to her growth and development. I find there's a lot of focus on food, um, but there's not that same rigor around sleep. So we prioritize her sleep and we guide her whenever she needs us and we can see that she needs some some help and some leadership from us when it comes to that. So I hope that's not too vague. <laughs> uh, okay. Pregnancy books you would recommend um, there's a couple of books I liked that I'll talk about. Um, my 
for pregnancy, my friend Juliet, well, you know Juliet Allen, we became friends through recording, which has just been the best gift ever. She gifted me 10 moons, which was really lovely. Um, There was some stuff in there that I absolutely didn't subscribe to and perhaps a little bit too on the woo-woo for me even. Um, But there was some incredible kind of rituals and thinking around um, pregnancy and birth. For birth specifically, I loved Inna May's Guide to Childbirth. I actually listened to that as an audio book because it's quite long. So when I'd go on my daily walks when I was pregnant, I would listen to that. I loved the um, the real accounts and how, I guess, her explaining how different birth can be, but all of them positive. Um, and also her book, Spiritual Midwifery, I liked. Um, yeah, and I guess they're kind of more on that holistic side, but even though I chose private and I guess more clinical care, it was actually really beautiful to take some of those more holistic elements in with me um, to create, I guess, a very personalized approach and experience um, for postpartum. You didn't ask this, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, postpartum, I loved the first 40 days, um, but I'll talk about that. I think, as the questions go on, because I also can see how that can be quite constricting to type A personalities <laughs> like me. Um, my friend Eleanor, and another one you know, Eleanor Pendleton, she gifted me the motherhood. And that's by a local writer. I think she's based in Melbourne. And I really also enjoyed those very personal accounts of the early days and I was reading it when I was in that time myself. I do think with that book there could have been more positive and softer stories because it was all about how hard it was. Um, But, yeah, I would have loved to have just heard someone say this is amazing (laughs) because it is. Um, But, yeah, a lot of them paint a very accurate picture for those more difficult moments. Um, And I know there's some questions around conception, but I always recommend Spirit Babies to anyone on their conception journey. Um, I'm pretty sure Juliet gave me that one as well. She's been such a huge part of my um, or our conception journey and I guess my own state of mind um, back in that time. So, yes. Okay, next question. Um, I've had this post-viral cough for 10 weeks, Um, so I might cough. I have a kind of a croaky voice and I might cough and drink. Okay, next question. In the middle of our second pregnancy loss, trying again has been filled with anxiety and emotional pain. How did you and T cope and find the courage to keep trying? Well, first I want to say I'm sorry. Um, I found our second loss particularly hard because to me it felt like I went from this sort of, you know, one in three, one in four, very common thing into the 2%. Um, And I also think my biggest fear was realized with that second loss that it would happen again because, you know, everyone tells you it won't after your first miscarriage and then, it does and you think, fuck, 
you know, is this going to be my story? And, oh, my God, this is my story. Um, and then once you get to three, you sort of move into this recurrent miscarriage category. And that's generally when they say to seek um, the help of a specialist. I'm not sure that we coped as much as we just persevered, if I'm honest. Um, I think it gets to that point for many couples where you're just sort of rising up to meet, you know, the challenge of conception and carrying to term um, every day and every week and every month. I will say that we did begin to experience acceptance before we fell pregnant with Betty. Um, and I think that came from my own sort of self-study and evolved understanding of nature and the evolution of all things. I, and I'll talk perhaps a little bit more about this, but I stopped making our journey wrong and that was kind of life-changing for me because there was a real lightness that came with that. Um, so, yeah, so I would say that, and I know this is really hard, but what would it feel like in your body and in your mind and I guess on that more emotional plane, what would it feel like if you reframed your experience to be relevant instead of wrong? And perhaps think about, as I did, what are you being called to explore or transcend or evolve beyond? Um, and I say that not wanting to minimize your experience in any way, but it's kind of the only thing that I had in the end was to turn to that more spiritual side of things. So... Yeah, I don't know if that will make it easier for you, but it did for me. Um, I really began to see our fertility journey, um, or probably more my fertility journey, because it felt as much as Tony was there with me, it did feel like it was more happening to me. Um, I started to see it as this sort of container for self-development, um, because prior to that, I was very, very attached to certain outcomes and timeframes. And yeah, what I learned was, you know, the big work I had to do was in letting go, letting go of the need to know. So yeah, that really helped me emotionally and mentally was, was that very thing, let go of the need to know. Um, and Dahlia Gensha actually... Um, I've done an episode with her. If you haven't listened to it, it's amazing, if I do say so myself. She said to me once about something else, throw it up to God. And I just fucking loved that. So, you know, when those, you know, limiting thoughts or negative thoughts arrive or the catastrophizing and we begin to fixate and obsessed, just throw it up to God. Give it back. <laughs> and you know, get back into your body and back into being. Um, so I can see how that would have helped me then. I've been using that now. And then, of course, there's all the real things um, that go along with the spiritual, like ensuring that we're healthy and rested and that we're seeing specialists recommended to us if that is within our means. Um, 
trying within the optimal window. I always said I wouldn't have that sex and we absolutely had that sex for quite some time. Um, yeah, I guess I would say on that, um, a few months before we conceived Betty, I realized that I actually ovulate earlier than the app was telling me. I was using Clue, which I love Clue, but it was telling me I ovulated on like day 14 when actually I started ovulating on on day 11. So for a long time, I was missing the window. Um, Yeah, and I started using a saliva ovulation tracker instead of the app. And I think it was, I started that at the beginning of 2020. Um, And we fell in February and I lost that one. And then we fell again in May. Um, And that was Betty girl. So yeah, just excuse me. I will say that conception didn't seem to be as challenging for us as I guess achieving a viable pregnancy, um, which I'll talk a little bit about because I know there's a question about that, I think, about testing and stuff. Um, Or maybe I'll talk about it now. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, we found out with with our situation it was really about the quality of the egg and that was really hard for me finding that out because, you know, my AMH, I think it's called, was low. I think mine was, and I don't want anyone to draw comparisons here, I think it was 6.5, but I should really be responsible and get that right. I'm pretty sure it was, though, because I obsessed over it. Um, so my score was low and my le- my egg quality was low. And I was 34 when I got tested and I've lived a really healthy life. So I was quite surprised to see my results, but it goes to show that while lifestyle is important, it's also just biological. Because um, I remember thinking you know, coming into our second year, I was like, it must be Tony's sperm. (laughs) You know, he's older and he used to smoke. Actually, we both used to smoke. Um, He drinks more than me, so it must be him. Um, And the IVF doctor we saw confirmed that he actually had, and I quote, Superman sperm. That's the exact phrase he used, which I was so annoyed in the moment. Um, yeah, I wouldn't actually be able to recommend him because he wasn't the right fit for me and I didn't have a great experience. Um, He was a bit... Anyway, I won't talk about him. Um, But yes, in terms of testing, because I think there was a question about this, so I won't answer it again, but um, we started testing after that second loss in, in the February and then we fell pregnant with Betty in the May so in that time frame, we did genetic testing and that's quite expensive. So that was, I think, about $700, um, which was a big outlay for us. Uh, we did my AMH levels, we did his sperm and it was like the super duper sperm test because there's like two levels. So we just went ahead and did the big one. Um, and everything actually came back clear except that my score was low and my egg quality was not great. So I guess that was not everything. It was quite a big deal. Um, But we were essentially told that it would just be about luck, (laughs) which is quite bananas to me now. Um, And also that if we didn't fall pregnant naturally by the end of 2020, that we should commence IVF 
early in 2021 this year. So I felt that that was a lot of pressure and it was quite hard to hold. Um, but I will say I never actually thought we'd get to IVF. I, I always believed that she was coming. So I sort of knew it wouldn't come down to that while I was really open to it. I think financially we weren't really in a position to do more than one round and that kind of concerned me. Um, yeah, I always kind of felt like it wasn't going to come to that. And yeah, there were very dark days. Um, but that's when I, I turned to my meditation practice and the body of knowledge that comes with it. And I found a lot of peace and hope there. So I hope that answers your question. I hope that helps. Next question, have you gone, oh, sorry, how have you gone juggling your own business and becoming a mum? Well, I have a lot of thoughts on this one. I flat out refused to juggle. Um, I went into this chapter with no expectation of myself that I'd be able to be the conscious parent that I want to be and a conscious creator at the same time. I think that's a lot to put on someone, especially myself. Um, and I think that that narrative has been so damaging to our, I guess, our well-being as a collective of ambitious women. Um, but I knew I wanted to have at least a few months of no pressure to work or create. And so I pre-recorded half of this season, um, half of season six, which was a mammoth undertaking when I was pregnant. Um, I also set up an earning goal for the second half of 2020 so I could feel comfortable financially. And that isn't to say I'm in a comfortable financial position, <laughs> but I'm comfortable with where I'm at um, because I know that I will earn um, and I haven't sort of reached my earning potential or the offline's earning potential in any way. Um, I think I have a really beautiful business and yeah, it has a lot of potential, but I don't have to meet it at the same time I'm navigating motherhood and having a newborn. So yeah, I think that all sounds really sensible, doesn't it? But it does take a lot of self-assurance and conviction, I think, to sort of disassociate from that mainstream narrative that we have to juggle and do it all. Because I think we absolutely can have it all but we hurt ourselves when we try and have it all at once. Um, so yeah, and I will share that I'd planned on getting back to work and coaching in sort of May, June, but I didn't feel ready and I could see that Betty wasn't ready for that either. Um, so I have found that hard, I guess, as the financial pressure is building a little bit now. It's July. Um, so I've got to kind of sort myself out. <laughs> for this month, but I am, I am putting some steps in place to do that. <clears throat> okay. What life lessons do you want to teach your daughter? Where do I even start with this one? Oh, um, that she is a loving idea in the eyes of God. Um, that everything she will ever experience is relevant to her evolution. To let go of the need to know. I wish I'd learned that earlier. To have mercy. 
to always choose the high road. And I guess as is my sort of philosophy with offline, I want to teach her to use her unique skills and talents to serve, yeah, her evolution and the evolution of all things. And I don't know if these are lessons or not, but um, but yeah, I want I want to teach her to enjoy the storyline of her life. Um, I actually asked Tony some of these questions, and he said about this one that he wants to teach her, or we probably need somebody else to teach her financial literacy. Um, which is, I think, basically our relationship in a nutshell. Like I'm the dreamer, and he's the more pragmatic one. Um, but I would agree with him there. Like we both grew up in public housing in the western suburbs of Sydney, and we didn't have a lot, and we were never educated about money. I think partly because there just wasn't any. And yeah, I know we've both always wished we had one of those financial mentors around us. And someone that could have told us to save and how and when to invest and, you know, getting on the property ladder and all of this stuff that we now feel is a little bit, um, perhaps we've missed that opportunity. I don't know. Um, but I do know we'd be in a very different financial situation now if we had have had those financial skills, because it's not like we haven't done relatively well professionally. It's just that, we have we both haven't really known what to do with our money. Um, and we've enjoyed ourselves, you know, lots of bougie trips. Um, we've actually recently decided to open a bank account for Betty and we we're going to transfer some money into it each month. And it was kind of sad because I was like, let's do, you know, I think I said like $100 a month thinking, gosh, by the time she's 18, she'll be a millionaire. And it was like, not that much money. Um but anyway, it would be a good start for her and we can help her buy her first car. That one's quite close to my heart because I remember I had to save for an entire year to afford to buy my Nana's old Daihatsu charade for $1,000. <laughs> so we will not be putting that pressure on little Betty. Okay, next question. Being a mother yourself, does that change anything between you and your mother? Oh, I have to try not to get emotional with this one. Um, this is really such a beautifully timed question because it's been quite highlighted in my life very recently. Um, my mum is lots of things first and foremost, but she's also sick. Um, I have spoken about it maybe once or twice, or definitely once, maybe twice. Um, she has breast cancer and, um, and yes, so her, that isn't, oh gosh, um, that is not the defining sort of factor of her existence right now. I guess I'll say it that way, but it has called us as a family, I guess, to reorient ourselves around that fact. Um, and yeah, after going down a few different pathways and just navigating, I think we're all now very focused on her just 
enjoying herself and having fun, especially with Betty. Yeah, and I guess more to directly answer your question, I have, of course, a newfound respect for her and all that she sacrificed to ensure that we felt as safe as we could and loved, even when she couldn't control a lot of what was happening around her and to her when we were growing up. So, oof, got that one. Okay. Do you use a white noise machine? Yes. Let's move to something lighter. Um, We do. And we have done since pretty early on, maybe from about two weeks. Um, I definitely subscribe to the idea that creating like a warm, low-lit and safe space that I guess mimics the feeling of being in the womb soothes a baby, and that's been true for Betty. We were using a portable one um, for the first three months. I forget what it's called. It looks like an egg. It's white with a green border. It's from Baby Bunting. And uh, there's actually a funny story about that. I was in Baby Bunting, I think, towards the end of my pregnancy, so I was like quite pregnant, and I was standing in the section where all the white noise machines were, just feeling, as you do in baby bunting, completely overwhelmed. And I just thought, God, there's just white noise. Why is there so many of these? And this incredible mum that had like 75 children, (laughs) she came over to me and she was like, dull, it's this one. I've used it on all of my kids. Chuck it on, hang it to the cop. They love it. And so I bought that one. It was like 25 bucks. Um, But the only downside is that because we were having it on you know, in all of her day sleeps and overnight, it was costing us an absolute bomb in batteries, which I was quite super, you know, conscious of, obviously. So now we use the inbuilt white noise in our monitor. And I know there's a question about kind of what we've loved using and sort of must-haves, so I'll talk about it then, but we have the Nanit. I think that's how you say it. Um, quite the investment, that one, but we'll talk about that. Is Betty in a routine or just demand feeding? Okay, this one can, this one could get a bit loaded. I've also didn't realize the routine, no routine um, world in parent in the parenting world. Um, so I want to start by saying, only you know what's sorry, only you know what's right for your baby and your family and your situation. Um, whatever you choose is right. And, you know, whether you feed on demand or feed at set times, whether you rock to sleep or feed to sleep or sleep train or co-sleep or use the bloody snoo or, you know, have them sleep on you in a carrier all day, like whatever you choose to do is right, is right for your baby. Betty sort of fed and slept whenever she wanted to for the first two months of her life. We were in this beautiful love bubble on the lounge or in the bedroom, you know, just feeding and sleeping and soothing and really just getting to know each other. Like the way I think about those first two months was really just developing a relationship. Um, Then at about, it was around eight or nine weeks. It's getting a bit hazy now. Um, I could see that she needed more sleep um, and Tony could as well. She was only getting, you know, three or four hours overnight and 
she wasn't getting any sort of long restorative sleeps during the day either. So that's when we started to gently phase in the what baby method. Um, So I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but my friend Jen is the founder and she's a beautiful cancerian and a mother and she has 30 years of experience as a mothercraft nurse. She's Tresillian trained. I trust that woman with my baby and with us as well, I guess, as new parents navigating our way through it all. Um, she has been so encouraging. And I guess maybe I'll go ahead and say like a bit of a mother figure for me um, during this time. So that's been really comforting. Um, I actually, and I guess I should be very transparent, I edited her ebook as a favor for free. I don't know why I do that shit, but I do. Um, it took me a long time. <laughs> but I, I edited it a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and I really resonated with her methodology and I guess this idea of giving your baby consistency and predictability through routine and it's not so much about set times but it's more about I guess the order of our day and giving her consistent cues for what's coming next. Um, Yeah and I've just found it to be such a common sense approach um, mainly to sort of anticipating her needs and you know, the main thing for us was just ensuring she gets the amount of sleep, but also the quality of sleep that she needs to grow and develop and thrive. Um, Then I guess the second factor was routine for us is a through way to me returning to work, which, you know, working and creating, that's something that I wanted to do or I want to do for my own I guess, mental well-being, because it's such a big part of who I am, but it's also something that I need to do for us as a family financially. So we knew like before even conceiving Betty that I would need to start working again around the time she was, or the baby was five or six months. So that's, as I was saying before, now, (laughs) definitely stretched it to six months. Um, So yeah, and she... I guess we're coming up to five and a half months now and she's such a content, happy baby. And I think that is mostly because of the peaceful environment that we create and maintain for her. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, I think it's also our state of consciousness as individuals and also a couple, but beyond, I guess, the energetics I know what baby has played a huge part in her sort of contentment um, and her feeling of security. Um, Yeah, so what what WOT stands for windows of time and it's age appropriate because they do change, um, sleep, play and feeding windows essentially. And you can look Jen up on Instagram or she's got her ebook on her website. She's also got a shop now where she recommends different products that she likes to use, which we've used those. Um, she also has an app that, um, 
we used a lot in the early days, which is kind of a condensed version of the book. Um, but we found the the app was really helpful in those early days of guiding Betty to learn to self-settle and to sleep independently. Um, and for anyone who's been down that road, it's, you know, it's a very difficult week. Um, so yeah, but then I will say I'm not a fundamentalist about it and I don't follow everything in the what baby method. Like for example, with starting solids, we're following the, um, her name's boob to food on Instagram and she has a book called milk to meals. I love the names, um, but we're taking that is kind of more of our food philosophy. Um, but I just take what feels most relevant to our family and our baby and apply it. And I also try my best in any given moment to sort of just make contact with my intuition as a mother. And if I can't get a clear read or if I just don't know the answer, then I'll turn to Jen or what baby, um, but that's been big for me is just sort of choosing one pathway, one expert and just following that. Cause I think in the early, early days, I was sort of reading lots of different things and then getting quite confused and trying to mash everybody's different things up together and it didn't, didn't work. So, but yeah, I will share with you and I guess this is a bit loaded, but I'm trying to think what a new mums care about. Here's what I cared about. So I will just say it. Betty has been sleeping through the night <laughs> um, with a 10 p.m. dream feed since about week nine, maybe 10, but was kind of a week after we implemented the What Baby routine. Um, she didn't have a sleep regression at four months. I know. <laughs> I'm still waiting for it. Um, because if she did wake up in the night, then she just – like we do, you toss and turn and you wake up and she just went back to sleep um, because she knew how to do that. Um, but Jen and I have been talking a lot about the four-month regression and how it's really a progression and it's a really positive thing that they're developing and they're beginning to sleep more like we do as adults, but it's become something a lot of parents fear because, of course, we value our own sleep um, and around that time you're just starting to get that overnight sleep again and then their sleep changes and they start to wake up every two hours. Um, but I feel like it's become, yeah, like such a negative thing that a lot of new parents are fearing and, yeah, and like so, so we should because sleep deprivation is a real form of torture. But, but I guess my experience has been different, so all I can do is share that. Um, but I'll say it again that only you know what's best for your baby and your family. Um, and yeah, I'm wondering if it's helpful for me because you've asked about routine, whether I explain a typical day for us, um, which hasn't really changed since about week nine or 10. So, and we're now at sort of five and a half months coming up to six months. So I hope this isn't boring, but I think I wanted to know this as well. Like, just tell me what you do in a day. <laughs> And what it actually looks like. So Betty wakes up um, usually around 6.30 a.m. And then she'll sort of just sit in her cot and play and sing to herself until we get her up at 7. And Tony wakes her up and that's just the best, best thing is like being a full creep stalker and watching them on the monitor. <laughs> 
and just her little face. Oh, my God, she's such a happy baby. Um, And so he gets her up and changes her nappy and they have a little play, like just looking in the mirror and then they go into the kitchen and he does what he calls kitchen noises and they make the cups of tea together and she like is, he gives her the tea bag and she drops them in the cups. <laughs> oh, so cute. Um, so he does that, heats my heat pack up, what a man, and then he brings her into me and I give her her morning feed and we have a cup of tea and then we just, um, you know, sit with her sort of quietly and she might sort of suck on a teether or um, move around the bed a little bit, not much yet. Um, and that's about an hour all up. And then we put her back to bed and she sleeps from eight till 10. Usually sometimes she wakes up, sometimes she doesn't. Um, most of the time she sleeps through till 10, like right now it's 10 AM sharp and she's still asleep. Um, and then I will get her up, um, and we'll have some like active play, like proper play. And that's what I've paired back where I kind of now I'm just putting a couple of toys out and letting her explore and she's been moving around the mat a lot more now, whereas before when I had heaps of stuff, I think she was a bit overwhelmed. She just kind of laid there. So we do our tummy time and then I'll feed her again and then we'll have a quiet sit in her bouncer with Lullabells is amazing on Spotify and she'll just play with her little bunny or currently now she's getting a tooth, so her teeth are. And we just kind of sit there together and she looks out the window and it's very beautiful. I love that time. So that's kind of like quiet play. And then I put her back to bed. Um, And then we kind of do that essentially another time. And then after her um, afternoon, sort of after lunch feed, I pop her in the pram and I take her for a walk for her last nap. So she'll usually sleep about an hour in the pram and I get like an hour and a half walk, which is nice. And then we come home and I pop the fire on YouTube <laughs> and some music on. I always have lots of, <clears throat> excuse me, music on, just music I like as well, not like nursery rhymes. I couldn't deal with that. Just like classical nursery rhymes is beautiful or some jazz in the background or like I know it sounds a bit like, oh, God, but it's actually really nice to sort of create that beautiful environment. Um, but, yeah, Spotify has so many great lists of like soulful playlists or coffee shop playlists. So I'll put some um, soft music on for her in the fire and she just does a little bit more tummy time on her sheepskin rug and I run the bath. And then we do the bath. I give her a little massage. We have her dinner feed and then sits in the bouncer again. And then she's off to bed at 6.30. And yeah, and then she'll sleep from, she'll take about half an hour to sort of drift off. And then she'll sleep until we get her up in the morning. And I was doing a 10 p.m. dream feed, which I've just dropped this week. So my boobs are quite engorged. But that's kind of an idea of our day and that's, I guess, the what baby routine in action. It's sleep, active play, feed, quiet play, sleep. And that might be absolutely hell for some people, but for us it's been such a gift. Um, And she has, yeah, I mean, she's thriving. So I'm just going to (coughs) cough and have a drink.
Yeah, so you can kind of see with work. I'm trying to figure out when the work happens, but I'll talk a little bit about that because I think there's a question on on that maybe. If not, I'll get to it. Um, okay, so there's a lot of questions, obviously, and good about pregnancy and birth and the postpartum period. So I was thinking instead of reading them all out, I would just tell as much of our story as we're comfortable with, including you know, the more detailed stuff that I wanted to know before I went through it. Um, So, yeah, and for this one I've actually written some pointers because it's a lot to remember. Um, When we found out that I was pregnant with Betty in early May, I think it was, I conceived her in May, we conceived her in May, um, we decided, like we had been seeing an IVF, the IVF doctor with the view to perhaps going down that path, but we saw him more just to get those tests done. Um, And so we conceived naturally, which I think he was a bit annoyed about. (laughs) I have a theory. Um, And then to take away that really anxious time, um, of not knowing about whether I was going to miscarry or not again, we just took it into our own hands that time and we started with blood tests. So I was getting blood tests every few days for the first few weeks, I think it was. Sorry, I wish I had written that down because now it just feels like it was literally a year ago, over a year ago. Um, But what the blood tests do, which I had through the IVF clinic, is they measure that your... HCG levels, I think they're called, are going up and that is signs that the pregnancy is progressing. If they stall or drop, that means that you're likely to lose the baby. And I'll never forget, like, every time they called me, I'd be in the car or doing something and my just heart would stop just wanting to know that that level was going up and it was. We then went and had the um, early scan at six weeks, which was a heartbeat scan, and we saw a heart beating and that was a very emotional time. Um, And I will say that this pregnancy with Betty did feel different. And the only way I can describe it is I really felt her presence quite early on, which I didn't have with the other two. Um, So that was at week six. And then essentially we don't need to see the IVF guy anymore because we're on our way. So then he referred us to an obstetrician because he knew we wanted private care. And he recommended Dr. Alex Owen, and that's the best thing that man ever did. (laughs) Um, Alex is brilliant. I call him Dr. Owen, which he was like, stop calling me Dr. Owen. I'm like, can't help it. You're a doctor. You deserve it. Um, But we saw Dr. Owen a lot, um, which I don't think is common um, or perhaps recommended from the obstetrician side. Um, but we saw him pretty much every two weeks during our pregnancy because of my anxiety and he's just the most kind and patient and funny guy and exactly what we both needed. Um, he's located across from the Apple store in Bondi Junction and he delivers at Prince of Wales private and occasionally at Royal Women's, but only 
um, that hospital in the east. And that gave me a lot of comfort that he wouldn't be like stuck in traffic coming across the bridge or something when I was in labor. Um, and I remember in our first session, he told me that he's never missed a birth and that he wouldn't miss mine. And I cannot tell you how much comfort that gave me and how much it sort of calmed my anxiety that I was able to vocalize to someone that I was struggling and I probably would struggle and that he said that he would be there for us and and he was there every step of the way. The pregnancy anxiety, it is part of the reason why I didn't share the pregnancy on social media. There was one thing was I just wanted to protect our experience and I also wanted to give myself a chance to sort of be in the totality of the experience without having to document it um, or kind of curate it for social media. Um, but then the other side of it was that I was petrified I was going to lose the baby at any given time and I didn't want to have to deal with that publicly. Um, so I just took that pressure off and thought, I'm just going to keep this private. And month by month, it just started to feel even better that we decided to do that. I um, <clears throat> I was recommended to a perinatal psychologist by Dr. Owen, and I saw her a few times. She was wonderful. But ultimately, I found that where I was at spiritually was kind of um, more helpful to me than that kind of more traditional therapist's view. And so also it was like 250 bucks a turn. I just couldn't afford to go, unfortunately. I think I had three sessions and she revealed some very profound things to me and that helped me a lot. Um, one of the key things she said to me was that I needed to um, – I needed to make space for the baby in my body and that being anxious and I guess that tightly wound was not sort of conducive to that space making. Um, and we spoke a lot about the um, where my anxiety comes from and who actually owns it and that I should give it back. Um, so that was quite profound for me, actually. So that really did help, but then I really just went for it with kind of Vedic study and meditating and that kind of kept it at bay, but it was still a constant thing. Um, I had a couple of emergency scans with Dr. Owen on top of the sort of fortnightly ones I was having. I had a lot of scans and I felt guilty about that in the beginning and then Jade, my acupuncturist, I see Jade at the White Owl Clinic. She's incredible. Um, if I don't mention it later, I did do acupuncture, I think, weekly for the first six weeks and then fortnightly thereafter um, for the pregnancy. Um, but she said to me, you just need to do whatever you need to do to feel calm in your body. And if that is scans, then you get those scans. And I think once I had that permission, I really softened into the fact that this is just my story and my how my experience is going to be. Um, so I did, you know, there was like I think one or two late night ones where he kindly went into his office and scanned me. He left dinner with his family. <laughs> what a legend. Um, and also I did two heartbeat traces at the hospital. Um, and I think that you get to a certain point and he sort of referred us to the hospital versus his rooms. And, um, and that felt really excessive and extreme, but I just, you know, if I didn't feel her that day, I just let my mind sort of 
became very unbounded and and I would lose control and you know and I was really worried about the impact that was having on Betty as well just her own nervous system um so I would say to you if you need more reassurance through scanning and heartbeat traces you just go and do that um you can just never be too too sure so that was, I guess, the kind of theme of my pregnancy, if I can explain it that way. Um, I didn't have any crazy cravings. I ate a lot of mandarins, I think mainly because they were in season in the beginning in the first trimester, but I was like laughing and saying she probably was going to be a mandarin. Um, I had this particular, I guess, one craving sandwich and that was it. It was like I wanted, you know, that kind of very doughy Helga's bread with butter cheese, iceberg lettuce, tomato, and mustard pickles or pickled mustard, whatever it's called. And so I ate those like it was going out of fashion kind of in the first trimester and then that kind of went away. Um, But I didn't crave like, you know, a packet of Tim Tams or anything like that. I, down to the anxiety as well, I didn't have any caffeine or any alcohol. I didn't have a drop, not a sip. I didn't even have chai because it had black tea in it. That's how excessive I was. And this is on reflection, knowing, you know, um, how much that anxiety had a hold of me that I thought if I have caffeine, I'm going to lose the baby. Um, and this is the thing about anxiety is it's not rational. And so if you have people in your life that are trying to rationalize with you in those moments, just nod but don't pay attention because you know it's crazy what you're thinking, but you can't stop thinking it. Um, what else will be interesting? I think people always want to know how much weight you gained. Um, I guess that's a hard one, isn't it? I want to talk a little bit about um, that. I um, I gained, it was like 11 or 12 kilos, which is within the healthy range of weight gain, but it is on the lower end. Um, I fixated on that quite a bit. I didn't feel like I was getting big enough. And I think this is where the intuition comes in the whole pregnancy. I just felt like, um, she was small and I was small. And there were days where I was like, Oh, amazing. Like, I'm just going to have this bump. But then there were days where I was like, come on, like, you know, I, I, I want to have a big juicy pregnant body. And, um, despite how much I was sort of eating and making sure that I was having more calories and I would have not been pregnant. Um, and then we actually found out around week 37 or 38, um, that she was measuring small, like we had obviously been tracking and there came to a point where she just wasn't meeting the, um, I guess the recommended gains for that end of the pregnancy. And yeah, I had a lot of guilt around that, um, starting to tell myself stories that I wasn't nourishing her and I wasn't providing for her, even though I was trying, you know, so hard to be focused on what I was eating and how much I was eating. What happened was um, we found out after I um, birthed the placenta one of the first things Dr. Owen said is, wow, that's small. And in the moment I was like, my God, what do you mean? And then of course I had Betty on me. So I was like, stopped paying attention, but he sent my placenta away for testing and it was really small and it had a short and thin cord. 
And so then we knew why she was little. Um, and I'm just wondering if I'm comfortable to share it with you. I think I am. Um, she was 2.5 kilos when she was born, which is, um, she was a little girl. And yeah, she didn't actually lose any weight before hospital. You know how they say you they lose like a percentage of their body weight before they leave? She actually didn't do that. So she'd maintained her size and grew from there. But we found out with the testing at the eight-week checkup um, that it had a condition called – wait a second, I wrote this down. Oh, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> Chorangiosis. Chorangiosis. Anyway, it is a feature of placental insufficiency. And I think if nothing else, I kind of felt a bit validated by my anxiety. Like I always kind of knew something wasn't quite right. I don't know. Um, so that was that, that was the pregnancy. So it was quite scary at the end there actually, but, um, but not as bad as it could have been because of course I went and had a Google about that sort of condition after, and there was a pretty real link to stillbirth past 40 weeks. Um, geez Louise. Um, so I just am so thankful that I had the means and privilege to um, go down the road of private care and somebody who was very conservative and cared very deeply about us and her and the outcome um, of that pregnancy. So with the postpartum period, let's move on to that. Um, let me tell you, I was prepared for the very worst, same with the birth, and experienced the exact opposite. And so Maybe we should talk about as much as I want to say about the birth. Um, I guess what I'll say is it was beautiful and I was able to use all the techniques I'd learned and I used everything in my hospital bag, which is actually a suitcase. Um, and I think I had such a positive birth and postpartum period because I was almost overprepared like I read about every different scenario and literally prepared myself for all of those scenarios. And I think that the reason I did that is because that's all I heard when I was pregnant. You know, how it's like people just want to tell you these horror stories for some reason when you've got like a baby inside your body. It's very odd that women do that to each other. Um, but yeah, I know now that that's more coming from a trauma response than it is any sort of malicious, you know, intention. But yes, yeah, so I'll say like, not from me. I am here to tell you it was beautiful and it was soft. And I'm not saying that yours will be, but I'm saying it can be. And I also think the years we spent trying were hard and bad things happened. And so we have this natural expectation that the birth will be bad and the postpartum will be bad as well. But yeah, the exact opposite happened to us. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, yeah. And then I guess I'd also acknowledge 
the deep and real connection between our state of consciousness and not, I guess, what we experience, but how we experience it. Because the same thing could be happening to me as another new mum, but our states are different. So the way we experience those things are different. Um, But yeah, I've just, I feel like I've done a lot of self-work and I've done a lot of letting go. And yeah, and I will say that the anxiety faded away into the background when it came to the birth. Um, So yeah, so labour prep. I used, um, I don't know if you've heard of this, I hadn't before I was pregnant. Um, I used something called an EpiNo and I used it in, it was like daily for the last three weeks of my pregnancy and it's essentially a small balloon that you insert inside you and you inflate it at different stages sort of bit by bit to stretch that area. It can go to like 10 centimetres, which I never got there. Um, I think I got to five or six. And I will say like if nothing else it prepares you for the feeling of fullness down there as the baby's head comes down so that that's not an overwhelming sensation. Um, I also did, or I should say Tony did, the, um, what's it called? Perineum, is it? Massage. And, you know, that was like not fun and not sexy, but we did it. And we did it probably about 10 times before she came in those final weeks. And I did feel such a big difference and a release of those muscles from when we first started to right before she was born. Um, I also had one labor preparation session at a women's pelvic clinic in Bondi Junction. And I would highly recommend that because um, it's a women's physio essentially, and they test your pelvic floor Um, And they also teach you how to push. So they get you to kind of push and then they give you instructions as to sort of or direction on what to do more or less of and if you're engaging the right muscles, which is really key to limiting damage. Um, We also did a hypnobirthing course with the amazing Lillian from Woven definitely look her up. Um, We have plans to record, so that's coming at a stage. Um, She's actually a coaching client of mine. We had a few sessions together and her offering is quite unique because she's a midwife and she's a hypnobirthing practitioner and she's also a Pilates teacher. So kind of all those things that you need. And obviously it was 2020, so it was lots of lockdowns and stuff and we did ours on Zoom. Um, and more than anything else, I think, what will I say about that? That it gave Tony a very comprehensive understanding of birth and his role in the room, um, and me a very comprehensive understanding of what my body and uterus would be doing to birth the baby. Um, and that brings some context to the, um, pain, I guess, And, but yeah, on that, like, I really loved the sort of evolution of the language, like surges instead of contractions. I quite liked that. Um, And yeah, that hypnobirthing course also helped me advocate for 
myself. Um, we wrote out our birth preferences. It advises you to do that, but we didn't actually end up giving them to anyone because Dr. Owen was so across sort of what we wanted, but also a lot of what we wanted he already does, like delayed cord clamping and um, warm compress down there as the baby is coming down. Um, he has a preference against episiotomies and assisted births. Um, so yeah, I did, we both did those antenatal classes provided by the hospital. I thought they were kind of, <laughs> anything Tony and I do, we always talk about the design of things Like we need to rebrand <laughs> the antenatal classes. Um, excuse me. <coughs> because the, you know, like it's, it was 2020 and the photos were from like 1995 or something. I was like, somebody needs to update this PowerPoint. Anyway, it was very helpful. Um, and the beautiful thing was the lady who hosted the antenatal Zoom classes, I actually saw her at the hospital when we were giving birth and she came over and she gave me the biggest, warmest hug. And I'll never forget that moment. She just made me feel so calm. Um, I also paid for a separate breastfeeding one, but I'll talk a bit about breastfeeding separately, I think. Um, yeah. And then I did that, like I ate the dates, um, and sipped on the rub raspberry leaf tea from about week 37, 36, 37. Um, I don't know if that does anything or not, but it was kind of just nice to do. And we're only having one baby. So I just wanted to do all those little things. Um, so the birth. I feel like I didn't really talk about that. Um, so I gave birth at Prince of Wales Private Hospital and we spent the standard four nights, five days in the hospital. And I think, you know, like any hospital stay, it was good and bad. Um, I feel very fortunate that we could afford it um, and afford private care. And I knew that's what I needed to help me get through it with the anxiety just the continuity of care was important to me. Um, but I've just heard incredible things about the midwife program at Royal Women's in in um, Randwick as well. So um, I had a vaginal birth, no forceps or vacuum. I didn't tear, if that's of interest. Um, I always wanted to know that from other women. Um, I did have what Dr. Owen called a small internal graze that he put two dissolvable stitches in. And he said I could have gone without that actually, but that it would, I'm pretty sure he said it would heal faster with the stitches. I literally, it was never painful. I never felt it. I didn't even know it was there. Um, yeah, and so I guess on that I would say that the labour preparation I did was a hundred percent worth it. And I do think it works. Um, so if you can commit to it, it's kind of the last thing you want to do when you're that pregnant. But, um, my postpartum period, I think was so much easier, um, because of that work I did beforehand. Um, and I had said to Dr. Owen, I was like, oh, well, you know, she was small. So I guess, you know, trying to like <laughs> self-depreciate as I do, and he said, no, like sometimes, you know, women have big babies and, and don't tear and other women have small babies and still tear. And so that made me feel better that I, you know, I'd done the work and it paid off. Um, 
In terms of, I guess, the birthing environment, like I'm very sensitive to noise and colour and I guess the energetics in a room. And so I was very purposeful with ensuring our room was really soft and and comfortable. Um, I think I definitely just, yeah, made it feel as much like home as I could. Um, I used everything, I think, in my hospital bag. I don't feel like I overpacked. Um, but I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I packed. And I, I'm just thinking maybe I'll put all of this in a list in the show notes so that you can refer to it there. Um, I labored in a black cotton on crop top and a pair of black Juem maternity knickers. I felt quite chic. <laughs> Had my black slippers, my fuzzy slippers. Um, I took a diffuser with some lavender and I know Clary Sage is, Clary Sage is really popular, but I can't stand the smell of that. So I didn't use that. I took my pillow and I would add a small blanket if I had my time again, just something that you use on the lounge or whatever that feels like home. I use the TENS machine. Um, highly recommend that. It was incredible. Um, I hired mine from a place called Blissful Birth, Bliss Birth, something like that. Um, I bought an electric heat pad and I didn't actually use that in my labor. I thought I would, but I use it a lot afterwards in the hospital because, you know, it's so cold. I have lots of sore spots um, and yet such a nice relief on my lower back and shoulders in those early days of feeding through the night. Um, yeah, charges for about five minutes and then it stays warm for hours. Um, I took bananas and dates as labor snacks. I also took coconut water, but I didn't really like that in the moment. So I just stuck to water, um, especially in the pushing stage. Um, a portable speaker and a playlist. I'm so glad I did a playlist. Um, I started listening to it in the final weeks of the pregnancy just to kind of, you know, make it start to feel like home a bit. Um, and we had the playlist on in the room anytime I didn't have my AirPods in. Um, and it was just especially beautiful to have it on in that pushing stage. And it's such a gift to know what song was playing when she arrived. Um, but yeah, and then we listened to the playlist a lot in the hospital in those early days. And then since we've been home, like I still put it on like once a day now and I say, you know, our birth playlist, <laughs> let's listen to it. Um, what else about the birth? I used a mala and a Vedic mantra for most of my active labor. And I listened to the mantra being recited through my AirPods. So that was kind of like a very internal experience. I just completed a 40 day Japa journey through offline, not long before her birth. So um, that practice felt um, very comforting to me and it absolutely helped me sort of um, transcend and stay in the moment with each sort of stir, surge, <laughs> surge, surge. 
I'm getting distracted because Tony's got Betty upstairs and he's playing with her. I don't know if you can hear it. I told him I was recording. Anyway, it's just getting looser and looser now, the podcast. Um, charges for the phone and the speaker. Obviously, someone said to bring a long cord. I didn't do that. It was fine. Um, one thing I took that I didn't use was a nursing pillow. And the reason is I bought the Ikea one and hated it because it's just like so firm and too high up and just too stiff. Um, so I just used pillows in the hospital and pillows when I got home. And then I eventually got sent one called the Air Nest, I think it's called. And it's amazing if you are looking for one. Um, toiletries, I took just my standard stuff, toothbrush, toothpaste, shampoo, conditioner, comb, hair ties, hair clip, um, body oil, just my normal skincare, concealer, brow pencil. I did my brows. <laughs> um, and lip balm, just my Lano lips. Um, I've actually had a few people ask me, just like people I've seen out and about, if I got my hair done and if we had a photographer based on the photos I did put on Instagram and no, they're just iPhone pictures that Tony took of me with her in our room after and the ones of Tony and I after she'd come out, excuse me, um, Dr. Owen took them. He was so great in the moment because like he said that thing that like my role as an obstetrician is to observe, like you're doing all the work but I'm here as and when you need me. And, um, and then he's like, give me your phone. <laughs> so that was good. Got those pictures. Um, but so that was on the photos. And then somebody, yeah, had said also about my hair and whether I'd gotten my hair done. I was like, oh my God, that's so bougie. I love it. But no, what I did was I bought Pantene travel size shampoo and conditioner, which I never use. And it made my hair so silky and smooth when I washed it after I'd given birth and I just let it air dry and that's how it looked in that photo. And I know you'll say it has all that stuff in it, but it was actually 0% silicones and parabens, etc. Um, What else? Warm socks, um, Kmart nursing bras, like the triangle material ones that pull to the side, not the clip ones. Um, I actually wore those bras exclusively for the first couple of months and I still wear them to bed now. Um, I didn't actually take a proper maternity bra because I knew I wouldn't want anything tight or constricting when my milk was coming in. Um, I took disposable breast pads, but I didn't use them and I've never leaked, which we'll talk about milk supply soon. Um, two packets of Depends. So I think that's what they're called, depends, the incontinence underwear. Um, and I used those for the duration we were in hospital and they had the kind of added benefit of they sit quite high. So they were like supporting my stomach and making me feel, I guess, like held up and held in, which you need because your belly feels a bit like jelly. Um, with I think the first two days I wore Tom's maternity pads inside the underwear and then changed my pad like, you know, four times a day and a few times overnight. And then when the bleeding slowed down, I just wore the underwear and changed them a few times a day. Um, my postpartum 
bleeding was nowhere near as bad as what I thought it would be and what I was told it would be. I passed a few large clots, which I'm sharing because I didn't expect that, but it did happen. And Dr. Owen asked me to text him pictures of them, (laughs) which is still the strangest thing I've ever done. Um, Because such an intimate thing, isn't it? Like our blood on a pad. Um, But passing clots is perfectly normal. So it was all fine. Um, I bought the Freedom Mum, I think it's called a Perry bottle and loved that. And it's essentially an upside down bottle that allows you to sort of squirt water down there to clean yourself versus wipe because you're so, I guess, like um, sensitive after the birth. And even though I had like no major birth injuries, it was still very tender down there. So the Perry bottle was amazing. Um, and the water had such a beautiful cooling sensation. I made up heaps of those padsicles, which is like frozen pads with aloe vera on them and witch hazel and things. Um, but I never felt the need to use those because after a couple of days I felt, yeah, all good. And like, I didn't have those birth injuries. So, um, so yeah, so they went to waste. Um, but yeah, and if I could describe the feeling down there after birth, it for me was a real heaviness and I guess a very, almost like a dull ache. Um, I took the Voltaren on offer at the hospital and that worked to treat and just Panadol is all they gave after, which is kind of crazy. Um, I didn't have any post labor contractions, which I was really worried about because I'd heard those could be quite bad, but they never came. Um, and then what else? Yeah, I took, um, obviously just maternity underwear to wear. I loved Uniqlo and Juem, but just not their bras, only their knickers and Kmart knickers as well. I bought these beautiful Papinelle black jersey pajamas that button up at the front for feeding and the black matching robe. And I wore them in hospital with my fluffy black slippers and I felt, yeah, really put together actually, which is important to me. Um, I took an outfit to wear home, which was just like a glassens button up and shorts and I wore them in a large um just so they were nice and big and comfy, an outfit for Betty to wear home. And because I gave birth in January, it was so hot. So she was just in a nappy in a singlet in the hospital the whole time. Um, Yeah. And then someone's actually asked my thoughts on epidurals. And um, I guess I would say my only advice is like, just do what you need to do to deliver your baby safely and you don't get a trophy at the end for having an unmedicated birth. Um, I would also add that pushing is wonderful but very tiring um, and you need a lot of energy and a lot of strength for that part. So if the epidural will preserve your energy and help you maintain, I guess, a a level of awareness that you would like during the birth. And I think give yourself that grace. And the big thing I kept remembering was it's not my birth, it's her birth. And so follow the baby's lead in that way. Um, I'm going to talk about breastfeeding. 
So this is all of these questions about breastfeeding, postpartum birth, labor prep in one, okay? <laughs> and a cough again. <coughs> I'll have to stop soon and come back because I've got a feeder at 11. Um, okay, so I had such a positive breastfeeding experience with no nipple trauma, no latching issues, and I credit that to the Thompson method. I was actually served an ad on Instagram and I clicked through, which is the best thing I ever did. So it's founded by Dr. Robin Thompson and she is a nipple trauma expert, a midwife and a breastfeeding consultant. And so again, like I'd heard so many horror stories about, you know, cracked nipples and bleeding nipples. And I thought, right, like, there must be another way. And like, why are we all getting taught how to do it, but we're all experiencing this nipple trauma? So there is another way. Um, it's an online course type thing of videos. And yeah, I think it's just videos, heaps of videos. Um, it cost about $90 um, from memory. And you get access to the library of tutorials and knowledge sessions. And there's also a private Facebook group that everyone who buys it is in there. And let me just tell you, anything you would ever need to ask, somebody is asking as well. And so that I found really beneficial. Um, <clears throat> so the method, what I've realized is essentially the opposite of what they teach you in hospital. I'm pretty sure. Um, it's a mouth to nipple technique versus nipple to nose or nose to nipple, whichever it is, and a cradle hold instead of a cross cradle hold. And it's also baby led, not mother or kind of midwife led. And her whole philosophy is around us listening to our intuition, which I really value to someone reminding me that I know. Um, and I rewatch a lot of the videos while I was in hospital um, in those early days, you know, to get help with things like my milk coming in and the cluster feeding and any sort of like adjustments to make on her latch. Um, yeah, I just could not recommend it highly enough. I think it set us up for success and empowered me also to, again, like advocate for myself and Betty while in the hospital. Um, the midwives weren't yeah, super happy that I thought I knew how to do it. And I did say to them, listen, I've just studied another technique and if it doesn't work, I'll, you know, come crawling back. But for now, I think I'm okay. And we were okay. Um, now this one, the other key thing for our breastfeeding journey was the silverette medical grade. I think they're like nipple covers, they're called another Instagram ad. Um, I think they were about 80 bucks and they act, I guess, picture like a, a little silver cup that you put over your nipple and it's like a healing guard between feeds. And I wore them from the very first feed during our golden hours. And I did not take them off for the first six weeks. And you can put a bit of breast milk in there as well before you put them on for like extra healing powers. Um, Breast milk is amazing for everything. So they, oh my God. And apparently my friend Mandy said that I'll get them back out when her teeth come through, when she starts biting. Um, <clears throat> so 
breastfeeding I found to be very beautiful. I've loved it. Um, and I won't, I will say like, yes, it was sensitive at times and her, when she would latch on in those early, you know, weeks, there was a bit of a, you know, take a deep breath, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't horrific or painful. No nipple trauma. Um, then my supply is a whole other situation. So I would say, I just need to clear my throat. (coughs) I think it's getting worse. Oh God, hold on. (coughs) It's hard to go outside now because, I mean, we're in lockdown. But I cough and everyone thinks I've got bloody COVID. Um, Yeah, so supply is a whole other story for me. I will tell you I've had just enough milk and I I feel like I could could do with more milk, um, but I have had enough. But because she was small, I've had to overcome, I guess, a bit of an obsession about her weight and her gains and we actually doubled her birth weight in the first two months, which the pediatrician was like, this is unheard of. But then she started to only have quite minimum weight gains. And so for a while there, I had to weigh her every week. And I found that quite stressful because, you know, the stress and anxiety impacts, sorry, impacts our milk supply. So it was a bit of a vicious cycle in that sense. Um, like it wasn't the first thing I was thinking about or feeling, but there was a real undercurrent, I think, of fear that I wasn't, you know, nourishing her. Like my placenta was shonky and now my milk wasn't abundant. And, you know, these are the stories we tell ourselves. Um, I also found it quite hard to be around babies her age um, because they're, you know, bigger and I guess a lot chunkier, whereas she's very long, um, but she's lean and yeah, right now I think she's sitting. We've got to wait till her six month um, doctor's appointment, but she's sitting around the 25th percentile, which, you know, for her age and gender is completely healthy and great. But um, it's been more about me accepting that that's okay. I tried pumping um, around week six to eight to increase my supply and get some extra milk to give her before bed, which was something a lot of people told me to do to ensure she was like introduced to the bottle early and she'd take the bottle and all of that. But um, it actually did more harm than good for me. I ended up with no extra milk. Like I pumped for close to two weeks and I'd get like 30 mils at a time. Um, But it also gave me mastitis. So loved that for me. Um, but yeah, I bought the Spectra 9 Plus, which is kind of like a portable pump and is fine. But I realized I should have just got the pump I wanted, which was the LV, but it was like more expensive. And I did that with the bloody monitor as well. Um, bought something else, then ended up getting the one I wanted. But because we're coming up to six months I'm and I'm not going to pump, I'm not going to buy the LV. But I think things might have been different if I could have pumped more freely because I found it very distracting, very time consuming to pump between feeding her and it just left me very little time to be with her and enjoy our awake time together and yeah. So after about two weeks, I was like, no, fuck pumping. I'm not doing that anymore Um, instead and I want to be – really open with sharing this to make any other mothers feel completely comfortable and um, 
and fine about this. I took my GP's advice to give her a formula top up before bed. And we've been on and off with that, probably more off than we have been on, but currently we're on at five and a half months. And she's absolutely thriving. Um, So she takes, I mean, this is not interesting to anyone who doesn't, isn't feeding a baby, but at this age, a normal feed is um, about 200 mils. Betty will take maybe 80 mils at the end of the day on top of my boobs. Um, And that gives me a lot of comfort. I know she's going to bed with a nice full belly. We use Little Oak, the formula. Um, It's organic goat's milk and it's palm oil free and we love it. So, and then Milk to Meals, the book I'm using for solids, um, she recommends that as well. So it has her tick of approval. Okay, I'm going to press pause, go and feed my babe, have some toast and then I'm going to come back. I'm still have so many questions to get through. So um, I shall be back. Okay, I'm back. Um, postpartum, which I've spoken about a bit already, but I'll talk about more in detail. So I found the postpartum period to be very soft and forgiving. And that is what I want to share with any mum to be is it can be beautiful. And I wish that somebody had said that to me because even at nearly six months in, I'm still waiting for the horror and the bad stuff to happen. And I think that that's maybe a bit sad. Um, I just feel like I didn't hear many, if any, positive stories about the first few months. And I don't think that that's a malicious thing. I think, you know, reflecting back, there's a bit of trauma responding in there. I also think sometimes we just say what we think we're supposed to say or what someone said to us, like, well, I hope you like your sleep and (laughs) Um, like I totally get that. For me, nothing, and I've said this before, nothing will ever be as hard as not having her or not knowing if I would ever meet her. You know, with that said, I also researched extensively and went into both the birth and the fourth trimester very informed and prepared so that counts for a lot. Like I think back to even those sort of what they call the witching hours where they just cry for no reason for a long period of time. Betty's was about three till six o'clock at night from, well, she was about four weeks old till she was about six or seven weeks old. It was, you know, intense, but you know, I understood what was happening. I just take her into our bedroom. I'd put the nightlight on put the blinds down, play some soothing music that I enjoyed as well. And I would just hold her and feed her and she would, you know, feed or sleep or cry. And I just kept telling her, you know, I know this is a lot to take in. And, you know, I understand that you're just trying to make contact with your body and being here. And I just didn't make the crying wrong. And so I don't think I suffered, if that makes sense. I'm not saying it was easy, um, but I had sort of had a, I don't know, a bit of a relationship with it, I guess, that I just understood what was required of me at the time and that there was no point in me getting worked up about it as well. Same with the night waking and the cluster feeding. I didn't make those wrong. I think I just accepted all of it as a part of having a newborn 
And I was just so grateful to have a bloody newborn. <laughs> um, yeah, and of course, some days I was tired. And on that, I think the postpartum period has proven to me, if I didn't actually need any more proof, but if I did, that meditating, for lack of a better description, works. So they say that 20 minutes of Vedic meditation is the equivalent to a few hours of sleep, and I can confirm that that is correct. So it was amazing to kind of have that to turn to on those really challenging days where I'd only had a little bit of sleep um, and I could sort of do a meditation while she was feeding or, you know, if she was taking a even one of the little cat naps, just prioritizing meditation in those moments. Um, the other thing that helped us in the postpartum period is we ordered two weeks of food delivery and we used pomelo, they're called, yummy. Not sort of like um, necessarily the healthiest meals ever, but just very sort of home-cooked, wholesome, very nourishing. Um, I tried to sort of stay within the guy, uh, the recommendations of the first 40 days book of like what to be eating. Um, but it's just really nice to have like really hearty home-cooked meals ready to tuck into and you know, a lot of people will cook you food, which sounds kind of like whatever when you're not in that stage. But when you're in that stage, it is amazing. I think I tried like five different spaghetti bowls. <laughs> um, but I think the main thing in that postpartum period was just like not having an agenda, like not having any expectations on ourselves for things we needed to do or expectations to meet. We just really lived in the moment with her because every day was so different. Um, we didn't have any visitors in those early weeks outside of my mum and my sisters, which if you can, I would highly recommend just protecting your space and protecting your energy. Um, you don't really, well, I, I can't say you, I did not want to hand her around. I didn't want other people to hold her. I think there's a lot to be said about that initial period, especially in the first week or two when they're just, you're establishing that bond and your scent is very important. And, you know, people come over with perfume and <laughs> like very different smells. Um, so I can see how that would be quite over overwhelming for a newborn. So, and it was COVID and, you know, um, I was just, I guess, hyper aware of, of not wanting to like pass her around. Um, and yeah, so I liked the idea of the first 40 days inside. I think that's so beautiful, like eating the broths and resting, but it was also summer, so I didn't want to constrict myself. And yeah, we just went for strolls around the block. Um, and then eventually after a couple of weeks, we made it down the beach to have some, you know, sun for me, especially just to put my chest in the sun and for Tony to have a beautiful swim. Um, we didn't have Betty out in the sun, obviously. Um, but yeah, I'm a bit of an overachiever and so <laughs> I made a very conscious effort not to perform in the postpartum period, like I'm only going to eat these foods, I'm going to stay inside for 40 days and da 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 um, I just felt like I did, yeah, what felt good in the moment and allowed myself a lot of grace and space to just navigate, I guess. Um I highly recommend just buying a few affordable loungewear sets, something that you feel really nice in, because I just lived in 
that sort of thing with my favorite jewelry and some slippers. I had, still do have two showers a day and that was a non-negotiable for me. They're not long, but they are important. Um, So that was really my time and is my time now to decompress and massage my body. And I'm now calling my nighttime shower the red wine shower. So it's amazing. You light a candle and turn the bathroom light off take your red wine into the shower. (laughs) It's like this mix of being in a spa and a bar. Amazing. Um, I did drop my wine once in the shower um, on a particularly sleep-deprived day. So that happens. Be careful. Slippery hands. Um, Somebody asked me about my postpartum body bumps and all. Yes, many bumps, new curves. Um, I didn't actually start to sort of, I don't know if past judgment's the right description, but I didn't start to, I guess, interrogate my size and my shape until about three months postpartum. I still weighed the same at that point, I think, as when I left hospital, which I think, you know, honestly was a bit confronting, um, This whole business about breastfeeding, shredding you didn't happen to me. (laughs) Uh, And I will say I felt quite minimized any time I would share with someone that I was like finding it hard to get used to my new body. And then you get that, you know, I spoke about this on the Keep It Cleaner episode. You get the, oh, be gentle on yourself. You've just had a baby and nine months in, nine months to take it off. And I get all that, but I think we're allowed to feel some level of indifference Um, and, yeah, perhaps that making new mums feel bad about caring about their body is a bit dangerous. So that was just my experience. You know, if you were to ask me what would I want someone to say in that moment, it's just an acknowledgement and that's with anything that people share. is like that must be really hard. You know, I'm here for you. Um, Yeah, so I put on... Yeah, 11 or 12 kilos, which I want to acknowledge is on the lighter side, but it's still in the healthy range. And I just put it down to the placental placental condition. I think it's placental. Um, yeah, because I think if I had my way, I definitely would have put on more weight. And I tried, especially at the end when we knew she was measuring small and I definitely felt really guilty, yeah, about not having this huge belly. Um, Nearly everyone that saw me said I was small and then the same when she arrived. I still get at least one comment a day on the street that she's small and that's probably another piece of advice if I could offer it is um, just try not to comment on a pregnant woman's size or the size of like a new mum's baby because we are very sensitive and we know a lot of the time as well. Um. So yeah, right now I'm about five kilos heavier than when I was before I had her. And yes, I'm at five and a half months and I don't have any plans to get back to my pre-baby weight or anything like that. I'm just focused on getting strong and toning up because I have had a really sore back and a tight neck and sore shoulders. And I have a hard time just kind of keeping my shoulders back. Um, And she's only kind of getting heavier um, and harder to carry for for long periods. So um, 
just thinking in terms of sort of the postpartum period and exercise I try, oh, I do walk every afternoon if it's not raining um, with her in the pram for about an hour and a half. And that's amazing. I think the last nap from what I understand now and what I've read a lot of is generally an assisted nap because I don't always want to go down for it, but to put them in the pram. And I bought one of those nice um, sort of sheepskin liners for the pram and she's got a little knitted blanket. She's all bundled up. It's so beautiful. We have a nice walk. Um, and when Tony can come with us, he does. He's a really good pram pusher. <laughs> um and I've just recently started the Peaches Pilates postnatal program, which was something I was doing, I was going to do anyway as a gift. So they just gifted me access to it. Um, I used to coach Tori and in exchange, she would train me, the founder. Um, and then, yeah, I spoke about it on Instagram, but they approached me and said they'd like to, you know, pay me a, what was a, a gesture fee to share my experience. So full transparency, it's a paid partnership, but I'd be doing it anyway. And yeah, the mental shift I've had in just a week of moving and stretching my body is unbelievable. You know, it's that thing where you know you're going to feel better, but you just can't be bothered. Oh, definitely be bothered. Um, and in this one, the workouts are like so introductory. They're like 20 or 30 minutes, which so doesn't also feel like you're sort of overwhelmed because um, I hate working out. <laughs> what else? Um, postpartum, I've been having lots of Epsom salt baths and chai lattes. Um, if you're ever in Bondi and you want the best chai latte in Bondi Beach, then go to Mamma Mia India on Wairoa Avenue. That is my pick. If they're shot, I don't have one, which is currently now when they're in lockdown, so I'm struggling a bit. Um, yeah, I loved those breastfeeding cookies, but at the end of the day, I think they're just cookies. I had lots of those. They have that nutritional yeast, which is helpful, but I prefer oats for um, maintaining and increasing milk supply. What else? Therapy. <laughs> I should probably put that one first. That's a big one. Um, for Tony and I as a couple and also me as an individual, again, it's I'm in a privileged position that I can – you know, I'm not saying that I don't have to think about it before I invest in it because it is a cost, but um, it's one that we have prioritized. So yeah, it might be helpful to someone out there to know that we have a strong marriage and we've been very strong in this postpartum period, I think, because we tend to it. Um and like there doesn't need to be something wrong to see a therapist. So for us, it's more about maintenance, especially in times of sort of transition and, and newness. So, you know, oftentimes, and then most recently, we got on the call with our therapist and she's just doing them on Zoom. And um, and we're like, we have nothing to talk about. Everything's great, you know, laugh, laugh, laugh. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, actually. <laughs> and then we have a really good healthy session um so and I hope Tony doesn't mind me sharing that best baby gift you received this one's easy um one of my oldest friends from high school Abby um her mum Moira 
crocheted Betty, the most beautiful blanket. I literally get stopped in the street about this blanket. And those two women mean so much to me and in turn so much to Tony. Um, When I left home for the first time, when things weren't good, when I was 16, Moira took me in and she looked after me. And Abby has always, always been there for me and, you know, came to my wedding and, you know, all of it. She came over recently with her two kids because she lives up in Port Macquarie. Um, and so to have that blankie for her, we'll just tre- treasure it. Um, what else? Billy and Annika gifted Nature Baby onesies and a bonnet, a Nature Baby bonnet and booties that we wear almost every single day. I love that brand. Um, Bobby Clark actually gifted us another pram blanket that we use every day. So I generally have two blankets in the pram. Um, it's kind of like this soft, um, cotton one that feels a bit like a cloud. It's really beautiful. Um, we also have a, I don't know how to pronounce it, file. It's P-H-I-L-E, Phil, probably butchered that. But um, it's a lovely local girl, Anna, who used to work in media. She started this cashmere brand and Tony's work gifted us a cream cashmere blanket with Betty's initials embroidered on it and we cherish that. So she has that blanket in the bouncer in her little quiet play before she goes to sleep. So that's really beautiful. Um, Books have been other beautiful gifts. Zenat Wilkinson gifted us one called Artsy Cats, which Betty loves, and Zenat's baby did as well. Um, they're the things that come to mind. Three blankets, random. Guess you use a lot of blankets. Um, another question is: I would love to know what products have worked well for you and Miss Betty. Um, I will. I'm just thinking about this as like would be annoying to listen to. You wouldn't have to write it all down. So I will put a list in the show notes. And sometimes people find it hard to find the show notes for whatever reason, given what player you're using. So if you can't find them where you are, then go to my website because I have like an episode article for every episode and they will be there. Um, So it's offlinethepodcast.com. So I've written a list down and I'm just going to go through them and I hope it's not boring. It's not that long. Um, And I guess like all in all, I realized you don't need that much. So we use the Red's Baby Metro 3 Pram. Love it. And all of this I bought, by the way. Um, A Kakuna Baby for the first four months was really helpful. Um, The Bubba Blue white muslin swaddle wraps are amazing for summer babies and we still use it as a pram cover now. She slept in the miracle blanket from eight weeks up until she was showing early signs of rolling, which have since gone away. (laughs) Um, The babyhood sleep positioner. So the miracle blanket and the sleep positioner are two things, Jen, from what baby recommends. And I think they were key to Betty sleeping through the night. Um, For onesies, we like booty. Um, the Ergo Baby ones and the Nature Baby ones. And all I'll say on those is I went nuts and bought like the Kmart and Target and all of that, and I think, great. I don't actually use them as much as I use the better quality ones because you do really see the difference in comfort for them. 
So if I had my time again, I would probably just invest in the more premium ones and less of them versus having lots of onesies of different brands, but not actually using using them because they're like scratchy or too hot and like their sleep environment so important, like their temperature and and all of that. So um, so those onesies, the Nature Baby cardigan, bonnet and booties, we wear as like a little set all the time over um, other things. Um, the Junior Life Playmat play I bought from the Memo. The Kip and Co. Sisters Bamboo Swaddle, you might have seen on Instagram, I have that over her playmat during tummy time sometimes for like colourful stimulation. I bought the Sheepskin Baby Rug from Emu, the brand the baby born Bjorn, baby Bjorn bouncer. Um, <clears throat> she's not in that heaps, to be honest. I have followed more of that philosophy of putting them out where they can stretch and roll and play and like develop a relationship with their body. But I do have her in the bouncer before she goes to sleep just for some quiet time. Um, we chose the troll sun cot drawers and change tray and then the Leander Maddie change mat on the top. And that's that one that's like um, a rubber mat so that when they do their wheeze and poos, you can just easily clean it up. I use the Big Softies Terry Toweling nappies as burp cloths. I don't use them as nappies. I may go to um, reusable nappies from six or seven months, um, but for now we're still in normal nappies. Um, the Hucka Baby Nail Care Set, it's like a nail buffer, is the best thing I've found for cutting nails because I actually did cut her accidentally with the snail, which the chemist said, you won't cut her with that, and I did. <laughs> I also tried baby sip, um, scissors and that wasn't good for us either. So we've stuck with the buffer. Um, the Nanit Monitor, Um I wish I'd just bought that from day one because of the breathing band because that was a big part of me needing just to make sure she was okay in those early days. But I wouldn't invest in it because I got so much money and it's unnecessary. And then I ended up getting it at about four months anyway, three and a half months. So I wish I'd just got that in in the beginning. Um, Ergo Baby Sleep Sacks, she's been in since three and a half months or so. The Checo, I think it's called, wrap for the first two months. That's more like the jersey wrap, though you wear them quite close to your body. Um, this one thing I was gifted was the RT Pop. I don't know how you pronounce that, carrier. Um, and because Betty was little, I couldn't put her in that till I think she was about 3.5 or 3.8 kilos. So once she was a bit bigger, I started using that and we love that. The only thing is you can't front carry in it. Um, for bottles, I use the Pigeon Wide Neck Slow Release Bottles and she took to that straight away, loved it. Lots of friends use the Pigeon Bottles as well. The Little Oak Formula I've spoken about. Um, the Gaia, I think it's called Gaia Natural Baby Powder is all we use when we're changing a nappy and she's never had any nappy rash or anything like that. Um, the Cub and Scout neoprene pouches instead of a baby bag. So I just have two of the large black neoprene pouches. And in there I have like four nappies, the disposable change mat, sanitizer, nappy bags, a spare singlet, um, beanie, um, 
I think I have a spare onesie in there. I think that's about it. And so I just have that stocked in the pram and then I have the same thing in the car. Um, and either way, I've, I'm always either in the car, but rarely actually, but all with the pram. So I don't really have a nappy bag. We bought the Britax Millennia Opal car seat, um, the Stokey high chair, which we've just put together because she's starting solids in the next week or two, the Milk to Meals book and the What Baby Bible and the app. So that's, <laughs> that's all the main big things we've used and loved. Okay. Apartment living with baby tips. Okay. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before or not, or I was thinking it, but without sort of realizing it, we've kind of subscribed to the Montessori way when it comes to baby things and toys. So I've actually just started listening to the Montessori baby book and it suggests a lot of what we're doing, um, which is, yeah, comforting if nothing else but like a simple wooden play gym and a baby safe mirror so she can sort of observe herself moving during tummy time. Um, really kind of beautiful activity-based toys that can be sort of handed down. So I think those kind of more wooden style ones. I did go a bit crazy on the Kmart toys and I've pulled back from that now. Um, and yeah, and then we're not really at baby proofing yet. So I guess I'd have to touch base with you when we have to start, you know, taking all our beautiful things off the coffee table and, and all of that. That's another thing that really kind of annoyed me a bit, you know, when people are like, well, say goodbye to your nice house and all your things. It's like, all righty. <laughs> um, okay. I'm not going to spend too much longer because I'm feeling like this is quite a long episode now. Does being a mom make you feel complete in some way? absolutely does. I feel very content. I want for nothing but her health and happiness and Tony's health and happiness and just for us to live a very simple, humble life um, here in beautiful Bondi. You know, I've got my amazing business. He's got a very, um, a very great job on a great um, brand. He's the creative director for Qantas magazine and he loves his work. Um, yeah, I just feel, I, I do feel com complete. I feel like, yeah, I was happy before and I'd made peace with whichever way it went. But now I do feel like I am fulfilling a role that I I knew deep down in my soul I was de de like destined to, to fulfill. Yeah. Um, what are some of the most surprising things you've learned about a newborn? Well, it's all just incredible. I mean, the fact that all she has is my breast milk and she grows is just absolutely beyond me that we grow them inside our bodies and then we just keep them alive. It's amazing. Um, but I think the main thing that surprised me is just how much my impact sorry, just how much my energy impacts hers. I probably didn't think too hard about that before I had her, that we are an extension of each other. Um, and so how I am in any situation or in any room with her has a direct impact on her state of being in that moment. Um, that has been surprising to me. It sounds quite logical now, but 
but I can just see how quickly things can go one way or the other based on how I am in the moment. Thank you for sharing as much as you do. Have you found B has changed the way you view earning and spending? Well, that's my pleasure. And I want to say thank you for respecting my boundaries. Um, I actually think she's made me more relaxed with money. Like we don't have heaps to spare each month, but we do fine. And I think because I'm time poor, now I just tend to buy because I don't have time to think about it. But before I would kind of labor on things for days and weeks. So that's, yeah, probably my my thoughts on spending at the moment. I'm probably spending more than I would have before, but if she needs something, I just buy it. Or if I need something for the house, I just buy it. Because I'm at home all the time. I've been indulging in a little bit of redecorating, which is totally unnecessary, but you know, I'm a Cancerian, so I need to feel very um, calm in my home and I kind of like tinkering and pottering around and changing things up. So I've been spending a bit <laughs> on that sort of thing. Um, on earning, I, yeah, I can sit here and say I've made peace with the fact that this may not be an earning season for me. Like it may be, but I don't think it will be. Um, but I know I will earn again. So I'm not sort of sitting here thinking, shit, I'm not earning any money now. What am I going to do? I'm thinking, okay, in the next six to 12 months, um, I'll come back into that earning season. But right now my focus is, you know, trying to be with her. And we don't cost a lot day to day, her and I, you know, it's just my chai, <laughs> essentially. Um, how do you find time for the things you love? Well, um, I mean, I don't have as much time as I did, obviously, but our routine does provide some level of predictability to the day. So I can sort of schedule things that I love around her and what she's doing at any given time. She's also in bed at 6.30 every night. Um, and because I've dropped that dream feed now, I'm not with her again until the morning. So yeah, since about week eight or nine that we brought in the Watt baby. We didn't bring it in then, but we kind of started to guide her then. Um, we've had pretty, yeah, solid evenings together, Tony and I. Um, he'll also take her for a walk in the afternoon if I need some time for me or if I need to work or record um, or if I haven't been able to meditate and I want to do that. Or, you know, just bloody lay on the lounge and scroll Instagram if I feel like that too. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's what I would say. I think the routine gives me more freedom um, when you might think it might be the opposite, but it's it's not. What has taken you most by surprise? Um, I probably just go back to how soft and effortless it's been. I expected it to be some sort of horror show based on what everyone had told me. <laughs> and it has just not been like that at all. Um, what have you learned about yourself after her birth? Mm. I think that I can trust my body 
it reminds me of, um, I went on a rounding retreat in 2019, I think it was in Bali with, um, Matt and Bondi Meditation Center. And, um, yeah, without going into like what rounding is, there's, you sort of giving yourself, um, self-massage before doing a series of yoga poses. And one thing he said to us was to sort of, um, to speak to your body as you were sort of massaging your arms and your neck and your back to say, good body, thank you body. And that's how I feel right now. Answering that question is, yeah, good body, thank you body. You you know, you gave me my baby and you did a really good job, even though sometimes I beat you up about your placenta and your milk. Um, yeah, you brought me my beautiful girl and she's just pristine. Um, how have you changed since becoming a mother? Um, this is actually the one that I asked Tony when I was going through them because I was really struggling to answer it. And we actually both agree that I haven't really changed at all. I'm just me with my little friend <laughs> in tow. Um, what would 20s Allison, oh, sorry, would 20s Allison have been as calm and surrendered with a baby as you seem to be now? Absolutely not. 20s Allison didn't want to sacrifice her career to have a baby. She would have felt like she was irrelevant without her career and she would have been anxious on maternity leave that, you know, someone was going to take her job or that she'd be left behind or that she'd miss out. So, yes. And I would even say like 20s Allison and also when I was probably 30 to 31 would have been the same. Um, conflicted between a career change and trying for a baby, any recommendations? Um, this one, it sounds to me like you're ready to evolve and to grow. And I think the work I would do is exploring like what kind of growth is most relevant for you at this time. Because one thing I will say is Tony and I really, really, really wanted a baby and I can see now being in it that if one of us didn't, even just a little bit, it would make it a lot harder than it is. Um, like we literally play fight each other <laughs> to who gets to get her out of bed and who gets to push the pram. Like we're obsessed and we would do anything required to keep her and our home and our marriage happy. Um, so I just think like, they're two very different things, a career change and a baby. So I'd probably be digging a bit deeper to see what type of evolution I'm being called to, called into. Yeah. How are you? Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> um, I am so happy that most days that scares me. What is Betty's personality like? My little girl, she is very calm. Um, she's very observant, so she likes to kind of take it all in before responding. Um, 
And at times she's very cheeky, like she loves a good giggle, but only on her terms. Like she's not someone who you can like ask for the giggles. She just does it on her own time and she laughs at the weirdest stuff where I'm like, that's not even funny. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's what she's like. Um, And then someone's asked, what does she look like? She has my eyes and we think they're going to stay blue. Um, They're kind of like a dark blue right now um, or a mid mid to darker blue. Um, My eyes and lips and she's got Tony's big smile. So when she does a big smile, it's like a big Tony smile. And she's just bloody pristine. Like she looks like a doll. And she has quite long lashes and she gets very rosy red cheeks after she's had a feed. Yeah, she's like, (laughs) I know every mum says this about their baby, but she's like out of control, beautiful and quite pretty. And she's very um, petite and I don't know if dainty is the right word, but she has quite small features. Um, Yeah, she's like, (laughs) if I could have drawn my perfect baby, it's her. Um, how are you finding motherhood versus what you thought it would be like? I guess I've covered this a little bit, but definitely easier and softer and more fulfilling than I thought it would be. Um, I thought I would find the chores side of it quite monotonous and hard, you know, like the laundry and all of that. Um, I shouldn't say the laundry. So Tony has always done our washing because he really enjoys doing it, strangely. And I hate it. Like before I met him, I used to wash my clothes once a week, all in one hit, whereas he likes to do his thing, you know, every day, every other day. So he's really taken pride in having our stuff all washed and ready for us. Um, So that takes a huge amount of labor off me. Um, But yeah, I thought I would find the chores a bit monotonous, but I actually quite like the predictability of it and really enjoying the routine with a little bit of spontaneity. Um, But yeah, we are definitely 50-50 with parenting and the household. So I don't think that would be my reality if my partner wasn't sort of doing their fair share. Um. Keen to hear how you pre-planned for baby financially and planned managing your work. Okay, so when our 12-week harmony test came back clear, which was the best day of my life, I that's when I started to let myself believe that we might actually have a baby. I didn't really believe it until she was breathing in my arms, to be quite honest with you. But that was July. And um, so then I set an earning goal for the second half of the year and then built my workflow around that, which is not dissimilar to how I run my business generally, is I have a figure I want to hit and then I create into and around that in terms of strategy for pricing. That's why I don't do a lot. I could be doing a lot more, especially before I had the baby, but um, I don't, yeah, do, how do I explain? I don't just do things for the sake of it. I am quite planned with working sort of more quarterly to half yearly. Um, But yeah, so that's what I did in terms of financial planning, I guess. And then I pre-recorded half of this season and then scheduled it all until um, 
I scheduled it all before she arrived in January, which was quite the task. Um, but that took me through till May. And then now I've just been recording every few weeks for the second half of the season. Um, yeah. And then coming up to six months, I do feel ready to create again. And it's also time for us as a family financially for me to kind of get back in there. But more than anything, I can see she's good and I'm ready and um, it's time. So the plan was for my mum to, we call it Betty sitting. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just with her being sick, we've recently come to the good conclusion that it's better for her just to come over whenever she wants and enjoy Betty rather than it needing to kind of fit into my work schedule and our routine. So, so that's that. And I'm really happy about that. I feel much lighter about it all. And I know she does as well. Um, like she actually was just over when I was recording. I didn't realize she'd come over and she was upstairs playing with Betty when I got upstairs. Um, and that was so nice. So right now we're looking at having a nanny for two half days a week. So from about nine till two, um, so I can come downstairs and work and the nanny would be upstairs with Betty. And yeah, I think that's the only way I can do it right now. Like I wouldn't be able to take her anywhere or I wouldn't feel comfortable putting her into any sort of daycare or anything this young. So just a couple of half days a week in the same house is how I'm going to start. Um, we've actually been connected with a really lovely lady in her 60s and she used to own a family daycare in Bondi and she has kids of her own and she's looked after um, babies that I know. So that gives me a lot of comfort. So we're meeting her next week, but hopefully that goes well. I think it's going to be a bit of an adjustment for me, Um, but I also know it's, yeah, it's time and it's, it's the right thing for, for all of us. I think it's just hard. Um, Somebody's asked how I found out that we were pregnant and how I told Tony. And, you know, I've thought about this and because there were so many bloody pregnancy tests, I actually can't remember the test where I found out because they all started to finding out three times. You get a bit confused, you know, as to what happened with each one. But um, but what I could share is... um. So we always knew we wanted to find out the sex and a big part of that was so that we could connect with the baby, especially me with my anxiety, connect with the baby and start believing in the baby. And um, and I'm also just a bit of a planner like that, like I kind of like to know. Um, so Tony was a bit indifferent where he was like, oh, maybe we should have a surprise. And so what we did was when Dr. Owen called me, to tell me the harmony test had been all clear or low risk. And then he was like, take some time and think about whether you want to know the sex or not. I ticked the box. So I I know the sex, but we can talk about it when you're back in the rooms. And I was like, yep, no worries. But then I text him right after, and it was a few days before my birthday last year. And I text him and I said, I'm going to surprise Tony by telling him the sex. And, um, And so actually Tony was in the kitchen and Dr. Owen was texting me and I was like, oh my God, he's about to tell me if I'm having a boy or a girl and I can't like (laughs) react. 
And so, yeah, he sent me the um, screenshots of the test and and he said um, Tony was right because I thought I was having a boy because I was like, there's no way I'm going to get my dream girl. That doesn't happen to me type thing. And Tony was like, we're going to have a girl. Um, and he said Tony was right, it's a girl. And I was just like, oh, my God. Um, so what I did is I went and bought a card. So we'd booked um, bills in Bondi just to have a nice dinner for my birthday. And I went and bought a card and the front of the card said B is for, which obviously it was for birthday, but inside the card I said um, B is for Betty and we're having a girl and, you know, oh, my God, it makes me emotional. And I gave it to him at dinner. But he just got really, you know, lots of happy tears and, yeah, because we, I don't know if I've mentioned that already, but we always knew that her name was going to be Betty if we had a girl because it's Tony's mum's name and he was, you know, has such a beautiful relationship with her and I never met her and so the girl was always going to be Betty so we were getting our little Betty. Um, how has beautiful little Betty impacted your attitude to your career? I should probably decide when I'm going to stop answering these. Um, yeah, I don't know whether she's impacted my attitude as much as she's made me more determined to stay on course. Um, you know, I've had those sort of thoughts floating in about all this stuff I could be doing and money I could be earning and strategically, you know, how to position myself and the brand. But I think she's really brought me, brought me back down to, to earth with it, like just to create meaningful work that will help people and will help her on her way as well and to leave a legacy that, you know, she'd be really proud of. Um, oh, hold on, she's just woken up. I'll be back. See, this is motherhood. Okay, I'm back. Um, I'll do a handful more questions and then we'll wrap this up. Um, okay, how did you finally get comfortable with Betty's pregnancy after the losses? Yeah, I guess I can hand on heart tell you that I'm sorry to say I didn't get comfortable until she was born and breathing in my arms. Um, I found my pregnancy very challenging mentally, um, but very kind of blissful physically. So. Yeah, I didn't have any morning sickness or um, I've been a little bit at week eight, but nothing to write home about. But physically I felt really good, but my anxiety was quite intense and all-consuming. So I don't think I ever really got comfortable. I just had to hold the um, the the intention of hope that she would be, yeah, that we would meet her and that she would be healthy and everything would be okay. And it was. Um which I'm so grateful for. Um, how did you mentally let go of your old life before motherhood? I think with this one, I think I've consciously evolved my lifestyle and my work, um, yeah, over the last few years to make space for her with the, you know, with the intention of bringing her into the world. Yeah, so I think there was no need for me to let go of anything because I'd already kind of evolved to a point where I was very ready, ready for her. And I'd built a life that, um, could put her first. 
Are you guys planning a second baby? No. I know everyone says this and then they do, but we are truly one and done. I um I don't think I'm <clears throat> I don't think I could be pregnant again based on that anxiety and because of the placental condition, uh, there's a likelihood that it would happen again. And I think, yeah, with those links to, and I'm just talking really honestly here with the high links to stillbirth, I just don't, I know what I'm like. I just don't think I could do it. And we've always both said we only want one baby because I'm one of four and he's one of five. And so ever since we met, it was always one um, and a girl. So we got that. We got our little angel and we're very content. Um, so yeah, always love hearing people's baby names. Um, yeah, there was only Betty for us. I think I mentioned that like years and years and years ago when we decided that we would have a baby and we would love a girl and we would name her after Tony's late mum, who was Elizabeth, but she was known as Betty. Um, but we've just got Betty on the birth certificate. So that's her full name. And her middle name is Linda, which is my mum's name. So she really does honour both of our beautiful mums. Okay, spiritual upgrade of birth and motherhood. Mm, um, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I am totality. Everything is me and I am everything. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know, that's it. Like it's just, um, just swallows you up whole this thing. Um, okay, this is the last one I'll do. Resources you found helpful during the last few weeks of pregnancy. Um, this is a really good question and I'm glad someone asked this. I think my advice here is no resources really. I think by that point you've probably read all you're going to read, read and you've done all the prep you're going to do. I think in the last few weeks of pregnancy I felt as prepared as I was ever going to be. Um, and for me those last few weeks were just about being with her and, you know, focusing on my meditation and talking to her and feeling her stretch and roll and yeah, I guess just really tapping into what she needed from me in those final weeks and I guess having these sort of quite sweet conversations with her about the birth and my hopes and intentions and, you know, if she could just um, continue communicating with me and that we would do it and we would meet and we would get through it and so that's my only advice for those last few weeks is just be with your baby, you know, start to develop a very real and conscious relationship with them because they're coming. <laughs> um, and I did feel like, you know, when she arrived, we had a real understanding and, you know, you could say that's in my head maybe, but I, I don't believe that. I feel... I feel that we established a real connection over those 10 months and developed a level of um, trust for each other through the birth. And yeah, so, okay, I'll leave it there. There was like so many other incredible, incredible questions. Um, I'm tempted to keep going, but 
yeah, I know this is getting on a little bit now. Um, I hope that was interesting and I hope I, um, I hope I shared enough to help you, um, on your way with, you know, conception, pregnancy, birth, and the, the postpartum period. I hope that this episode, if nothing else, has reframed a few things for you or just given you something to think about in terms of, you know, our, um, I think our right as, um, people who birth, um, to enjoy it and celebrate it and not make any part of this wrong. Um, and then beyond that, I have to thank you for listening to another season. You know, I'm going into season seven, which is just absolutely incredible. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart when I say, you know, without you, there is no offline. I would not be recording and I would not be growing my business. So every time you choose to press play, I know how many other podcasts are out there. And the fact that you keep showing up for me, it means a lot. Um, so I'm going to go away and I'm going to have a think about season seven. Um, one thing that's been bubbling up is maybe an entire season dedicated to sort of healers and teachers. So perhaps not abandoning in any way, but sort of evolving and moving a bit beyond, um, personalities and these people we love to follow on Instagram. Um, maybe there'll be a few. I'm sure they'll pop up, but I've been really feeling into this idea of what if we just had one season dedicated to, you know, meeting great minds and um, and having them share with us what they've learned and how to heal and how to self-heal. So with that, I shall go. Um, thank you for listening to this one and please DM me. I love to chat to you in my DMs and I will see you in season seven. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.